Son of a biscuit, I failed to get to the chopper. Well, I guess I'll sit back and listen to reviews and done. Let's get started. Here is your host, Derek Dunn. We'll go. What up, world? Once again, it's Derek Dunn back with another interview for Reviews and Done. As you guys know, I've been doing the flashback series focusing on albums. But today, I'm joined by fellow critic and my guy who is on Rotten Tomatoes approved Tomato Meters critic. He's also a critic for WTLP. He has some of the most positive energy of anybody that I haven't met just yet. He'll argue you down saying Han shot first and Star Wars. He thinks that uh, Captain Picard is one of the coolest Star Trek captains of all time. I'm talking about my friend, my guy, Jason. What's your last name again, man? <laughs> it's one of them days. No caffeine today, bro. Okay, man. Fraley. Fraley. Yeah. Fraley. You might want to just say that whole part again. <laughs> Yeah, we, nah, it, it, it should be good, man. You know, it, it adds to the humor. You know, folks know that I'm a big Sweet Tea fan, so I didn't have my uh, Sweet Tea today, so it's kind of messing with the mind. I've, I've been on a water kick all day. <laughs> so how you doing today, sir, on this beautiful Friday in the DMV? Good, man. Um, I am uh, in Frederick, where we live, uh, about an hour north of D.C. Uh, my wife and I live downtown Frederick, uh, where we really haven't been out of the house much since March, so it's been a weird year. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Well, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, chopping it up with you. You know, I respect your writing, love your uh, positive energy when it comes to talking cinema. So Jason and I are going to get into the top required 80s films that every um, kid should see. So the 80s teen movies. Yes, sir. 80s teen. And, you know, the 80s was a wild decade. So uh, you had just so many great movies in the 80s but uh you know jason and i wanted to focus primarily on the movies that guys should see you know ladies you know you guys have your movies i.e dirty dancing i.e 16 candles pretty in pink but the guys you know we have our movies too that it's universal stories but it just relates more to us because we can relate to what the characters were going through so we're going to give you our top five teen movies that every young man should see and we're going to throw on some honorable mentions so i'm gonna go ahead and kick it off and my number five is all the right moves from 1983 directed by michael chapman starring tom cruise and yes he does run in the movie because it's a football movie now when i was looking over my choices um i kind of wanted to go with risky business but in the end i decided to go with all the right moves because it's a football movie it has a story that anybody who's played any kind of sport can relate to. Basic plot is Tom Cruise plays Steph, a high school player desperate for a scholarship despite his headstrong coach in a dying Pennsylvania steel town. The coach is played by the delightful Craig T. Nelson. You have Chris Penn in this movie. You have Leon. You have a pre-Back to the Future, Leia Thompson. I mean, the football action is impressive. Um, my senior year in high school, I actually was in El Paso, and I know how big football is, you know, when you're in a football town. So I can kind of relate to Steph's story, even though I actually never played 
football, but a classic film. I think it's one of Tom's most underrated roles from early in his career because everybody talks about all the right moves because came out in the same year. I mean, excuse me, everybody talks about Risky Business because it came out in the same year, but you know, I'm more partial to risk, all the right moves as opposed to Risky Business. So if you've never seen it, check it out. Jason, over to you for your number five. My number five um, is John Hughes' The Breakfast Club, 1985. You know, I, I debated putting, you know, Pretty in Pink on here, like you mentioned, because, you know, Molly Ringwald, John Cryer, uh, James Spader. That's a great movie, too. Um, but if I had to choose, I, I went with The Breakfast Club instead. Um, it's just so iconic. Um, you know, not only the Simple Minds song, Don't You Forget About Me, um, it's sort of a, you know, encapsulates the, the, the very genre. Um, but I like it, you know, because of the, the it has the themes of, you know, breaking up the different cliques, you know, and never judging book a book by its cover. You know, you had the jock, Emilio Estevez, the brain, Anthony Michael Hall, the princess, Molly Ringwald, uh, the basket case, they call it Ali Sheedy, and then the criminal Judd Nelson, you know, doing his fist up in the air in the freeze frame at the end credits. Um, but yeah, I, I really appreciate the idea of, you know, that all these people that didn't think they would be friends. And I think there's even a line that says, you know, even when we leave this detention room, um, we might not ever be friends again. Um, but it just, it's sort of, showcases and exposes how ridiculous the idea of different you know cliques are and that you know <laughs> there really shouldn't be such a thing as popular or unpopular you know that everyone gets in a room we all have more in common than we think so i think especially today when there's so much division i think that message shines through even more so uh the breakfast club number five all right my number four is the iconic classic 1984's the karate kid starring ralph macchio and pat marita directed by John J. John G. Alveson. Now the Karate Kid, man. Um, thirty six years later, man. Ooh, still a classic film. Um, for me, I can't tell you guys how many times I'll just go on YouTube and I'll type in the final kick that Daniel does. Daniel does against Johnny, and yes, the kick was legal for all you anti Daniel's bad guy haters out there. <laughs> but um, classic underdog story. The relationship between Mr. Miyagi and Daniel was very um, prevalent. That's one of the strongest things in the film is um, for me growing up without a dad, but having, you know, positive male role models in my life, I was able to correlate, you know, my experience to that. And the Karate Kid also inspired me to take, you know, martial arts when I was younger. I mean, perfect crowd, pleasing entertainment. You know where it's going to go. You know that he's going to end up, you know, winning and all that. But again, you know, that, that final moment when he pulls that kickoff, just I can be watching about myself, you know, at my part-time job. And I'll, you know, clap every time he pulls that kickoff. So my number four, the Karate Kid. Over to you, Jason. That's great. Yeah, and I'm glad to see, you know, it's kind of cool that Cobra Kai has brought that whole world back uh, on streaming nowadays. Um, my number four is uh, Cameron Crowe's 1989 rom-com, Say Anything. Um, John Cusack was so iconic as the, you know, lovable Lloyd Dobler. You know, we all remember that scene of him lifting his boombox over his head, you know, blaring Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes to try to win, win back his, his girlfriend. Um, but still, um, my favorite scene actually is a lesser known one. It's when 
when uh, Cusack is sitting on the curb outside the gas station with a bunch of his guy friends. And, you know, they're all a bunch of losers that think they know what they're talking about. And they're saying, oh, you don't need girls, man. You know, forget about it. You're better off. And he has this little epiphany moment where he's sitting there on the curb and says, wait a minute, if you guys are, you know, such experts on, you know, relationships, then why are you sitting here alone on a Saturday night? And they're, they're just dumbfounded. But the guy, he quips back, by choice, man, by choice. And I, it makes me laugh every time. But I just, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's one of Cameron Crowe's best movies. Um, I, his, his best one was probably, you know, Jerry Maguire in, in 1996, a couple years later with, with Tom Cruise. Uh, it's my, that's my favorite Cameron Crowe, but, or almost famous as well. But um, in terms of 80s teen movies, say anything. That's my number four. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I didn't have it on my list, but, um, you know, I think that every guy who's been in love or tried to, you know, sway a young lady, you know, when you're young, you always want to find a song that you can relate to what you're feeling. And the scene with um, Cusack outside on these guy's window and the boombox is just so strong and such a classic, iconic moment. You know, surprisingly, off top, has anyone ever successfully parried that and not like in a, in a spoof movie to where it didn't go over as well as it did for Cusack's character. Hmm. That's, I'd have to think on that. There ha there has to be right. There has to be. Yeah. Well, even in, um, you know, not another team movie. I don't think they actually did that particular scene, maybe in date movie from 07, they might've, you know, tried that, uh, See, I feel like I feel like it's been in South Park and The Simpsons, and I feel like I've seen it in in a bunch of things over the years. Um, just because, I mean, it is so iconic. It's one of those that that people have seen, even if they've never seen the movie. You know. Yeah. Shout out to John Cusack, who's another um, actor that I don't think we really focus on Cusack's work in scene movies. You know, we kind of focus on his later stuff, but you know, Cusack was in um, Sixteen Candles. Hot Pursuit, The Sure Thing, Stand By Me, you know, of course, say anything. Shout out to the quirky individual known as Joan Cusack. My number three is Jason's number five, and that's The Breakfast Club, directed by the legendary John Hughes. And Hughes successfully navigated what it felt to be a teen in the 80s, and even you know, 30 plus years later, his movies still resonate with generations now. And I think with The Breakfast Club, the caveat on what Jason was saying, it's so relevant to what's going on now. And I think for me, being an Air Force vet and growing up as a military brat, you know, I always try to talk to everybody and I always try to like, you know, find something in common with somebody, you know, to talk about whatever. You know, that being said, you know, I might hang out with kids that are into Star Wars and I'll focus solely on that. And then I'll hang out with kids that are into, you know, hip hop, you know, cause I'm into, I'm into so many different things, but what Cusack did with that. And um, I'm sorry, but Hughes did with that was show us that, you know, you have to unlearn all the BS that society conditions us to think, you know, who you can and can't talk to. And at the end of the day, it's like, if you're in detention all day and you're not, you're not going to talk to anybody, it can lead for a boring day. Phenomenal soundtrack, great acting. Um, yeah, Breakfast Club, my number three. Over to you, Jason. Well, my number three is um, it's it's 
I guess it's a bit of a stretch in terms of it's not really a teen movie. They're they're in their t- early twenties, but I still think in terms of you know any young guy I should see is this is probably my more obscure pick is uh, Barry Levinson's Diner, nineteen eighty two. Um, Levinson, you know, made you know a series of films set in in Baltimore, uh, but Diner is is probably the the most classic one. Um, it's it's set in nineteen fifty nine Baltimore in the diner there, so I, I think it's in Fells Point, a fictional diner. Um, so you get all those great late. 50s maybe early 60s um the soundtrack those oldies golden oldies but to me what's really cool about this is seeing all the young faces that would go on to be huge stars um you know the cast has steve gutenberg um daniel stern you know years before he did home alone of course you get mickey rourke um decades before uh the wrestler which i still think he should have won the oscar for that year um kevin bacon a young kevin bacon was in this two years before he did footloose um, you get Tim Daly, Ellen Barkin. Um, uh, oh, Paul Reiser would go on to do Mad About You. There's so it's just stacked and some really, really fun, you know, scenes where, you, you know, I'm trying to one of my favorites is, is you know, before before the, the, the guy gets married, um, the the bride to be has to pass a certain quiz on who won certain Super Bowls and some football stuff. <laughs> and uh, It's just a lot of fun, you know, coming of age stuff. And Barry Levinson um, is actually a I think he went to AU film school for undergrad before he went on to, to launch his career. So Diner was kind of a good, uh, a, a spark that launched Levinson on to, you know, later do The Natural and, and Rain Man and so many other classics. But to me, uh, Diner is number three. And just to piggyback off what you were um, saying about Diner, you know, even though it's not really like, you know, there's no high school scenes, there's no quote unquote college scenes. It's still, um, I think, something that every guy should see because, I haven't seen Diner in, I know, at least 20 plus years, but the message of Diner, I think, is so important for young guys and young men to where you're in your early 20s, you know, right after high school, you might be in the military, you might be in college, you might be working. And I think with Diner, what I can remember was it just successfully showed how you have to kind of put away those childhood things and grow up and be a man. And you kind of want to, you know, stay true to what you knew with your friends. But as is life, sometimes, you know, you take different paths than your friends. do. So, yeah, Diner should definitely be um, on the list. And I think that every guy should see Diner. And Diner really should get more love, you know, out of uh, from Barry's films. I don't think people really put enough respect on Diner because, you know, his later work was so strong, particularly Rain Man. But, yeah, Diner, I might need to revisit that. It's sort of a hidden gem, you know? Yeah, definitely. All right, my number two is the classic, the iconic, the often imitated but never duplicated, Amy Heckerling's Fast Times Ridge My High with a script by Cameron Crowe. Now, Ridge My High, I think, is required viewing for both boys and girls. But I think, for me, why I... um putting Rich My High as, as every guy should see it because there's so many facets of male kingdom that you can relate to no matter what you're into. I mean, you have the stoner in the form of Jeff Spicoli played by the wonderful Sean Penn. You have the senior in high school who just lost his girlfriend. He's working and trying to find his place in life. Uh, Brad Hamilton played by Judd Reinhold, you know, before Beverly Hills Cop. You have Mark Ratner. You have... Uh, Mike Damone, the ticket scalper. Uh, who else? Nicholas Cage is in it. Uh, Forrest Whitaker. I mean, so many 
young actors that would go on to later fame are in Ridgemont High. And there's so many stories that are relatable to today. I mean, the whole thing with Stacy and the older guy, you know, not really ready for sex, but she does it anyway just to give him the peer pressure. Um, when you like a young lady and your friend kind of goes behind your back and, you know, gets sweater, you have to deal with that. Yeah, Ridgemont High is required viewing. I'm just in our previous conversation, Jason is always, you know, we've talked about how the director, Amy Heckman, really doesn't get enough credit for that because, you know, Cameron Crowe wrote the script and we really should put some respect on uh, Amy's name, but she would get her, you know, her just due years later with Clueless and Look Who's Talking, but Richmond High was kind of her early, early breakthrough for as a female director. So over to you for your number two, Jason. Yes, my number two is another John Hughes movie, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, 1986. Um, man, Matthew Broderick is just so iconic in that title role. Um, I love how, you know, he breaks the fourth wall, turning, you know, talking directly to the camera. We've seen that spoofed in, you know, Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool and so many other things. Um, you get the classic quotable lines like, you know, Bueller, Bueller, <laughs> Ben Stein is the teacher. Um, but I think really it's just everybody would love to go play hooky like Ferris and, you know, go dancing on the parade float to Twist and Shout in Chicago. And, um, you know, probably my favorite scene is, is the very end when Cameron's dad, you know, they, they have his red Ferrari and they're trying to reverse the mileage on the odometer. So by, by running it in reverse and of course, you know, <laughs> chaos ensues. Um, and, you know, what's funny is I was watching HBO's Succession, you know, the big Emmy winning triumph. Uh, we were watching that the other day and realized that Cameron is is one of the Roy kids. So uh, it's funny to see him come back around. Uh, but Ferris Bueller's just, it's just so iconic with, you know, that Oingo Boingo song that, oh yeah, chicka chicka. It, it, it's, it's, it's one of my favorites. I, I can't sm not smile just thinking of it. Yeah, Broderick had his uh, best following uh, war games back in 83. And, you know, one thing that's always been on my mind about Bueller, you know, just you, just you and I talking film in general is um, if Jeannie and Ferris were actually twins because they're both seniors in high school, but yet she has this huge disdain for her brother. And it's almost like, you know, they're siblings, but are they, are they twins where they're kind of connected, you know, mentally? Because she really can't stand dude. And like, you know, Charlie Sheen in his little famous cameo says, you know, why don't you spend less time worrying about your brother and just, you know, have fun, you know, let him live his life because that's like crazy how much he actually hated Ferris and Ferris was just, knew how to get over. But I mean, you know, he was still a good guy, but he was just that guy who knew how to get over and, you know, you know, he's going to be successful no matter what he does. Yeah. I don't know if they're meant to be twins or not, or if Ferris was, um, maybe like held back a year, sort of like that 13, 13th grade. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to go back and check it out, but it's an interesting theory because I'm a twin myself. So I would love to see if that's, uh, you know, what, what the deal is with that. So I'll have to look at that again. All right. Before we get to our number ones, um, you know, we're going to throw in a couple of honorable mentions, movies that didn't make the list, but are still, you know, worth seeing. Um, like I said, man, the eighties, man, was such a wild time for movies and especially for, Scene was, you know, because they were constantly coming out. Um, I remember listening to the commentary from Mallrats, uh, Kevin Smith's underrated comedy. He was saying how Universal told him that they wanted to get back to the TNA 
you know, in movies, which, you know, you know, we all, we all know what TNA stands for, <laughs> but uh, Kevin kind of says, like, you know, when he was growing up in the 80s as a teen, like, you know, every Friday there was a TNA flick showing at, at his local cinema in New Jersey. So, um, yeah. But, you know, we're not getting no TNA flicks, but my honorable mentions are 1986's Lucas starring Corey Haim. Um, Lucas is another underdog movie. Corey Haim, Charlie Sheen, Carrie Keegan from The Goonies. Um, you know, we all know the story of Lucas, underdog movie. Uh, kid tries to play football, wants to get the girl as a geek, but, uh, you know, has a nice heartfelt ending. Another honorable mention for me is going to be 1988's License to Drive, starring both the Corys, Corey Heyman, Corey Feldman. I think anybody who got your license, you can relate to that, you know, going out with your dad's car for the first time and trying to impress a young lady. And my final honorable mention, let's see, let's go ahead and keep it with uh, John Hughes, and that's going to be... Um, Pretty in Pink, and Pretty in Pink to me is, you know, it's Molly Ringwald's story, but clearly John Cryer comes in as Ducky and just steals the movie. I mean, I think if you were to ask someone, you know, a quote from Pretty in Pink, they'd probably quote, you know, Ducky first before they quote Molly Ringwald's Andy. I think any guy who's ever, you know, been in the friend zone can relate to Ducky. You know, when Ducky sings, um, Otis Redding's Try Little, Tend Try Little Tenderness, that scene alone is worth the price of admission. So those are my three honorable mentions. Over to you, Jason, for some honorable mentions. Yeah, I mean, uh, you have to echo, um, you know, Pretty in Pink, and then there's, you know, 16 Candles. All, all the John Hughes stuff could be honorable mentions. Um, you have movies like St. Elmo's Fire. Um, and there was even some great 80s um, you know, uh, teen slasher flicks like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, but, you know, I didn't really include those. We're talking more of those teen comedy movies here, but, um, and then honestly, the one that I really, really wanted to include, but ultimately didn't was, uh, was Back to the Future, because, you know, you do have, it's sort of the framing devices, Marty McFly, at, you know, an 80s teen movie playing the guitar, um, trying to, you know, get the, the, his, the pickup truck to take down to, to the lake for his date. But, um, but ultimately I left it off because it really is mostly set in the fifties, teen, teen years of his parents. Um, but, but, you know, I got to throw back to the future in there. It's one of my all time favorite sci-fi um, teen movies, but, uh, but yeah, so no, instead um, uh, I went with for number one on my list, I went with a movie you already said, fast times at Ridgemont high, 1982, Amy Heckerling um, with a script by Cameron Crowe. I just love that it. it just feels like a time capsule of that period with the soundtrack, you know, the opening, we got the beat by the Go-Go's at the shopping mall. We're really, you know, today's teenagers might be like, it'd be a foreign concept to go hang out at the mall, but pop this movie in and you kind of are put right there with, we got the beat or, you know, you got Jackson Brown, somebody's baby, um, you know, from wall to wall, the soundtrack and that really puts us in that time. And then, like you said, you know, just the cast, seeing everyone that went on to big things, you know, Sean Penn went on to win two Oscars uh, for Mystic River and Milk after this, but no matter what he does, he'll always be the, the stoner Jeff Spicoli. Uh, Forrest Whitaker went on to win an Oscar, and here he's the, you know, the dominant linebacker just roughing up the other team. Of course, Jennifer Jason Lee in the lead. Um, you know, she went on to do a bunch of Tarantino 
um, Judge Reinhold, Beverly Hills Cop, and the Santa Claus. Uh, there's even Nicolas Cage is one of the fast food workers in a, a little cameo. So yeah, so many greats. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, Amy Heckerling deserves more credit as, as a female director. Um, you know, she did this in the 82 and then um, in the 90s went on and did clueless with so many lines like whatever and as if but uh you know that that's another thing if, if we if we expanded this to a different decade you know the 90s you'd have clueless and then gosh richard linklater's dazed and confused all right all right you could do boys in the hood in there you could do american pie i mean th those are a lot of the ones of my youth or even if you took it back to the 70s american graffiti grease yep uh, Carrie, a horror team movie, Breaking Away, the, the cycling team movie. So, it, yeah, it's, it's funny. No matter what decade we looked at, um, you know, we could do it. But 80s, uh, 80s, I think Fast Times is the cream of the crop. Um, before I get to my number one, I, um, I'm totally kicking myself now. And, you know, my, uh, my wife, my friends who probably are going to hear this, are going to be like, we can't believe you didn't throw this on there. I totally forgot in my, my you know, my, my list making to put down Footloose. And I'm probably like the world's biggest Footloose fan, you know, that's a brother, <laughs> because I know Footloose, you know, the dialogue backwards and forwards. I know the, um, the dance routines. Um, I will literally stop doing what I'm doing and watch Footloose from start to finish whenever it's on TV. Earlier this year, you know, before the COVID actually hit back in January, the Alamo Draft House had a movie party and they showed a Footloose. So I had to go see Footloose on the big screen. So shout out to Kevin Bacon. Shout out to Lori Singer. Shout out to everyone that was in Footloose. That movie really was a huge part of my childhood. And I can't believe it. I forgot to put Footloose down. And I also love the remake too from 2011 directed by Craig Brewer. All right, folks. Drum roll. My number one is probably one that um I think everyone's seen and if you have it you need to see it it's kind of like one of jason's choices number three obscure but it's well known and that's 1982's the last american the last american version directed by bose davidson starring lawrence monosone diane franklin steve anson and a bunch of actors who i thought would definitely go on to you know better careers but you know some of them did some of them didn't but yeah basic plot it's a about friendship and you know two guys fall for the same girl and everything is jeopardized now earlier you heard me talk about tna flicks and the last american version yeah it's a tna flick you know lots of nudity lots of uh sex they don't hold back at all in that movie but midway through the movie you know there's a plot twist and the film gets a little bit serious and you're just like wow and where they take it is so realistic it elevates the movie above um you know standard tna flick from the 80s i think the acting is very strong amazing soundtrack with uh, james ingram human league the cars who else like soundtrack the commodore is just devo like you know that's probably one of the top three 80 soundtracks for me, you know, overall, because I mean, the soundtrack is like 23 songs and nothing but hits from, you know, up until that time. And also, it probably has one of the most realistic endings of any teen movie of all time. And even, you know, thinking about it now, it's like, yo, that was some real <laughs> shit that they did. And it's very bold and very un Hollywood. And I think every guy should see the last American version just so you kind of know how women really work 
and you know, you know, what to avoid. So yeah, my number one is the last American version. So here you seen that one before, Jason? I actually haven't. So there you go. I have my homework now. Oh, yeah, you gotta see the last American version. Like you know, it it it, it is very dated, but you know, it's very dated and um but it holds up like really, really well and it's a universal message. And like I said, that ending is just like wow, comes out of uh comes out of nowhere. Like, you know, it's not Hollywood at all, but I totally respect what they were trying to do. All right, folks, I I hope you've enjoyed uh, Jason and I chopping it up over (laughs) 80s teen movies. I mean, like, you know, we can go so much longer and so much uh, deeper, but I mean, part of being a uh, critic is sometimes, you know, just narrowing narrowing down your top five. And like me, my top five is things that I'll watch again and again, stuff that I know backwards and forwards. The movies are my top five. I own them all. I've seen them numerous times, but you know, cinemas are open back up right now and let one of these five be showing, you know, I'll go see it on the big screen. That's how much, you know, these movies are mean to me and how much I like them. So before we go, I want to give Jason a chance just to, you know, give you guys some recommendations on what to watch right now since he is a tomato meter approved critic. And once again, congrats on that, sir, for achieving a goal that every critic aspires to be. So just throw some choices out there for people out there and movie land and tv land what to watch since we're all stuck at home and theaters aren't really opening up anytime soon yeah well um the movie that i just reviewed today um it's it's just out on vod straight to streaming uh this week uh, actually i think it had a limited theater run too but um it's called save yourselves um it's a indie sci-fi rom-com where there's this Brooklyn couple, you know, they're hipsters. They decide they need to unplug from technology and the hustle and bustle. So they they go to a, a remote cabin in upstate New York. Um, but it just so happens that right then and there, an alien invasion is 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 happening. And, you know, they're listening to voicemails from from folks back in the city and from their families, you know, all worried about what they're seeing on on the news about these alien creatures and you know, as I was watching it, it's, it's, they obviously couldn't have known when they were making the movie, but it's almost like a, a weirdly prescient um, commentary on the coronavirus we're dealing with, because you have this couple sort of quarantined um, out in the middle of nowhere, while, while, you know, this invasive uh, thing is, is, you know, devastating the country. Um, I'd recommend it in terms of, you know, if you like the quirky, quirky um, rom-com indie vibe, um, I really enjoyed through, I'd say 99% of the movie, but I, I thought the ending was a little bit of a downer it ends on a, a bit of an ambiguous note where, you know, I feel like, you know, if, if, if you like sort of that transcendent existential, you know, 2001 a space odyssey endings with the star child kind of thing, then you might, you know, you might enjoy the ending in terms of contemplating, you know, what it all means. Like, is it, is it an allegory for like the rapture? These certain people are spared or something like that. But I think for most mainstream people, they'll, they'll want a little more closure. So I will, I will give that caveat. Um, but if you want to go in with an open mind, um, I, I think you'll enjoy, you know, at least 90% of it. <laughs> yeah. And right now my recommendation, it hit Netflix today is um, the 40 year old version um, from Rada Black. It's a black and white film about a failed playwright who's just turning 40 and hasn't achieved everything she wants to achieve yet. So she tries to become a rapper. And with this one, I think that anyone who hasn't fully achieved their 
potential of what you thought you wanted to do will find something to like. It's black and white, but I mean, it's beautifully shot. If you loved um, Spike Lee's debut, She's Gotta Have It, then you'll pretty much find something to enjoy in <laughs> this one. Same type of cinematography, just, you know, gorgeous looking black and white. And do you want to throw out any TV shows there, sir? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, my wife and I have been binge watching uh, Lovecraft Country on HBO. Um, I think there's maybe three, two or three episodes left before the season finale. Um, but um, I've really been enjoying that. Um, it's got the guy from The Last Black Man in San Francisco and then uh, the actress who was who played Michelle Tanner's friend back on Full House. <laughs> um, Courtney B. Vance from People vs. O.J. Simpson. You know, it's, a, it's a great cast. Um, but uh, we've been watching that. And then, uh, you know, we've also the new, the final season of Schitt's Creek, uh, which just dominated at the Emmys. Um, that arrived on Netflix early, the final season. Um, so we're catching up with that. And then uh, the movie on Netflix I'm really looking forward to. I know you've seen it. Uh, that comes out next week is uh, Aaron Sorkin's uh, The Tri Trial of the Chicago 7. I'm really excited to see that. Yes, sir. And you folks are going to love the um, Trial of Chicago 7. Just in our previous conversations, and I mentioned my review, if you would have told me 14 years ago when I was deployed to the Middle East, you know, when I was serving in the Air Force, that Borat was going to be in Oscar talks, it's a bet that I would have lost. <laughs> so yeah, definitely check that out next, uh, next Friday. There's a Borat sequel coming out, too. That would be very nice. Yes, sir. Well, I want to thank Jason for stopping by. And before we go, where can folks find on social media if they want to read some of your reviews and just, you know, really learn about cinema from a critic that I highly respect and admire? Well, thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, the, the, my stuff is on WTOP.com. Uh, you can listen to it on the radio at 103.5 FM. And uh, on Twitter, uh, just follow me at jfray, J-F-R-A-Y, W-T-O-P. All right, folks, I'm going to leave you guys with a quote. And before I get to the quote, though, let's let you guys know, um, I've already scheduled part two of this with another fellow critic, a friend of mine, and Jason's another guy who's writing style I enjoy. It's Mr. Eddie Passa, and he'll be joining me to do 90s movies next Friday. Cool, man. Tell Eddie I said hey. Will do. And we're going to end up with a quote. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. Ferris Bueller, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, written by the late, great John Hughes. Until the next time, done, out. What? It's over? Hmm, I would very much like to hear more from this informed podcaster. Smithers, make sure to add reviews and done to my schedule so I don't miss next week's plethora of informative speak.